to 1 Samuel. We're going to be uh, addressing um, really a perspective of what we're supposed to be going before the Lord uh, in this fast, uh, what we're supposed to be asking him to work in us. And um, we're focusing on Gilgal in, uh, in this pursuit because Gilgal was a very important place in the economy of what God was doing. Now, when you and I, and we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14. Um, when you and I think of Gilgal, we think of the, the studies we did years ago about the importance of what circumcision represented spiritually. And we also remembered that <clears throat> Golgotha is uh, from the root of what Gilgal is, Galal, and the rolling away of reproach and the making ourselves vulnerable before the Lord at the onset of, of, a, um, of a campaign in our land of promise to remove areas of the flesh that God has targeted so that we are more effective and um, more sensitive to him. And we've talked about all those things, and we've applied this principle on many, many different uh, measures of our studies and our intercession, and that's been a good thing. But I think it's, it's very interesting now that the Lord is bringing us to uh, a pursuit of the tactical application of what Gilgal really is. And so... Uh, we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to put before the Lord some things in our lives that we need to, um, you know, it's one thing to say, oh, yes, Lord, you know, I don't want to be stiff-necked. I want to be sub submissive to you. Um, please circumcise my heart so that I am more sensitive to you and the most delicate place of my spirit and I want to be pro productive for you. It's one thing to say that, and those are all sweet things. Those are wonderful things. But Gilgal represented a tactical base for taking the land. And it, it is also a tactical um, part of the seven locations that between Samuel and Elijah and Elisha formed what God intended to be people who embrace um, things that God does and ways that God moves, as well as um, set their sights toward the welcoming of the manuka of his presence. And Gilgal was one of those. And so it's it's very important for us to 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 have our mindsets geared that we can appreciate what God's doing in us that we're willing to go and obey that we'll hear from him and and we'll we'll be ready to go um and and willing and that we actually will go secondly that we would embrace 
the, the vitality of his touch points on earth as heaven touches earth. And thirdly, that we'll understand and apply how we ourselves can communicate with God. But Gilgal was, was really the, the motor of all of this. And um, we're going to talk about some of the ways that it was. But we referenced this passage um, in the past couple of weeks. Um, Samuel says, 1 Samuel eleven fourteen, 14, to the people, come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. And all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. There Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. We said how that renew um, really means the establishment of a, a foundational base. And then that base can be a touch point that people would come back to and say, are we, are we being faithful to our objective? What is the objective? Are we being faithful to that? Because if you don't have a vector, you soon become off course. Where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing? Otherwise, you're just wandering in the wilderness. So we're going to talk about this from a number of different angles. Um, the first one is when Israel first entered the land. You know, the Bible has them cross Chile, Jordan, and he grabs, uh, tells Joshua to take up 12 stones, one for each of the tribes, and bring it, and they set it up in Gilgal. And they, that, was, that was the reminder of that God had brought them into that land of promise and their individual identity before the Lord, and that those rocks were there. And then, of course, there was the circumcision of the, of the men, and then they went to Jericho, and they followed the Lord's direct obedience, the captain of the Lord's host, and they saw the walls come a-tumbling down, and they gained the great victory there. They gained treasures for the treasury of the Lord. They saved Rahab and her family, as was promised, and that was the lineage of Christ. And then they decided that they were going to go up to Ai. You know this story. And... Um, there was a guy named Achan who had stolen some gold and some silver and a, and a really fine-looking Babylonish garment. And because of that disobedience, the first attempt to take Ai was thwarted. And they eventually had to stone Achan and his crew. And uh, that, was, that was assigned to all the people, hey, you better obey. And once they did that, then God gave them Ai. Now, that's all great. All of that, we all know that story. That was the progression. But they were basing their operations at Gilgal. And according to the biblical narrative, the next thing they did was they loaded up the truck and they went to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim to do what Moses had said to do in the Mount of Blessing and Cursing. That's very interesting. Now, 
to me, it's a lot of times people get confused, and I, I know I was baffled by it. Why in the world did they have to do this? Was it just to learn the faith movement mantra, the power of life and death is in your tongue? To, to go split the tribes half on this and half on the other. One of the tribes is as bald as, as old Uncle Joe, and the other one is forested, and you know you can preach about the, the cursing brought this barrenness, but the blessing brought this fruitfulness, and those are all well and good. But why did that happen? Especially when we recognize that what Israel was supposed to do when they went into the land was largely forgotten during the days of the judges. There everybody did what was right in their own eyes. There everybody forgot how to lift their voice unto the Lord to, uh, as covenant elders, as people who were people of authority before God, to turn difficult places into a well of sustenance. Um, and, you know, but they did what was right in their own eye, which totally brought the days of the judges into an ongoing struggle where the land that was supposed to be the inheritance was populated and overrun by enemy forces. So, remember what happened right before or relatively right before they crossed over the Jordan. You had Moses standing at the rock, and um, God told him, I want you to prophesy to this rock. I want you to speak, and water will come forth. Well, this was, uh, you know, on the, on the threshold of going into the land of promise, and Moses instead of speaking proactively and speaking prophetically and obediently, he tore everybody up, whether they were, whether, whether they, uh, were deserving of that or not was not the issue. And that's, that's a big thing for us. Um, we've been given authority, but the, the, the promise of that land was to do what God said and to be in commune with him and when you commune with him, you speak what he says, and God will bring the, the blessing. But instead, he said the other thing, and God said, because you didn't do what I said at the right hand, you believed me not, I'm on. And because you, um, you did not sanctify me in the eyes of the people, you did not show what the walk of holiness would be, you did not demonstrate for them, what it, what it would be, you're not going into the land, which was terrible, but that's what happened. And um, Moses then has the whole tribe go to two mountains, or he says, this is what you got to do, and you got to learn the difference between blessing and cursing. And, you know, that was the onus of what the days of the judges were supposed to be. The people were supposed to be hearing from God, obeying, saying what he said, entering into measures of, of uh, prophetic declaration and proclamation, and trying their very best to subdue the irritating factors 
that can easily become the direction of your life. And instead, know how to deal with them while keeping your eye on what God wants and saying what God wants. So you have, you have all of that going on. And then when they finish, they're back to the base of Gilgal and they start their campaign of fighting against the ites and driving um, a, a large portion of people out of the place that would be the, um, the locations of the inheritance of the tribes. You know, at some point, people think, oh, th well, this was kind of like, I don't know what we thought the warfare would be. Um, it would be like the Blitzkrieg, you know, okay, here we go. We're, we got the ark, we got the fire of the Lord, we're just going to go and we're just going to go and kick it and take names, we're just going to move around. Well, they were more methodical than that. And, but Gilgal was always the base of the angelic. It was always the base uh, where they came back to remember what their identity was. And so for Samuel, hundreds of years later, to say of all the places that he could say, of all the places, he didn't say, let's go up to Bethel where the ladder of God is. He didn't say, let's go. He could have said any number of things, but he said, let's go back to Gilgal, and we're going to rekindle our foundational identity. And that, in the minds of all those people, and I think that's undoubtedly why, and when, when God chose the place where Christ would be sacrificed for us, it was known, Golgotha, by that name. Because that is the place of our identity. That is the place that charts what we're to be. And that is the place we should always come back to to gain our calibrations in going forward on behalf of the Father taking up our cross. Very interesting. So, you know, one of the things that as I've been studying about... Um, the locations, uh, you know, we had, the, we had the teaching about the trees and the former rain, the latter rain, and um, we talked about how our intercession is so vital in that regard, and that's still a very powerful message. But it's interesting to see that so many of these locations where these outposts of the prophets were or those that would learn how to commune with God. So many of these places were known by a particular tree. And then what that tree represented in the scripture is spiritually powerful, like Bethel, which was known as Luz, which was the almond tree. We've studied about that. And the wisdom and revelation there. And uh, you, some would say, well, how, how does that, how's Bethel the house of Elohim, how does that represent wisdom? You would think that if God is there in that way, that it, that it would represent some other facet, like, like uh, us just being on our face before God or whatever. What is, what is this thing with wisdom? Well, you forget, maybe, that the latter there was communing the heart of God with Elohim on the one hand, and Yahweh looking down from heaven on the other. So if wisdom is our taking the light by the direction of God into places where darkness was, 
in accordance with the plan of God, that's why that's wisdom. And the almond tree represents that. And we've, we've studied this. We've written about this. We've taught this. You know, out of all, the, all of the, um, the staffs that were put before the Lord when the murmuring was really rising up in the people as to who, who was hearing from God, what, what happened? Aaron's rod budded, almond buds. And supposedly that was, by what God said, going to stop murmuring. Um, but what did it represent? There's only one voice that's going to say where we're going and what we're going to do in the plan of God. It's not a competing. It's not a democracy. And the almond represented that measure of wisdom. And so I'm certain that those folks who would go up to Bethel um, and in one of the, we call them schools, but they really weren't all right, class. I mean, it, it, was, it was a gathering point. The first thing they recognized was, what has God done here? What has God shown us here? What have we learned from God here? What happened to Jacob here on numerous occasions? What was this ladder? Why was this here? They learned. They did, and they taught. That was a key point there. But that wasn't the main thing. They communed with God. And, um, but when they all came together, they could reflect on, okay, God moved this way here, and God moved this way here, and this is what we learned about this, and this is what we learned about that. But in the midst of all of it, we're just here to meet with him. It's kind of like what we do when we have the ways of God, the seven spirits, and we, we recognize that each one of them is so vitally important because it's him. But, you know, at any given time, he may be highlighting one of them. And we apply that principle, but it doesn't do away with the other factors any more than if, uh, if we come to help Sandra with a project. We know her and how wonderful she is to all of us. But we're focused on that one project, but we don't forget about all the other facets of who she is. And, and so there are things that God highlights in his ways, and we have to not forget any of them. Um, but the main thing is that we know him, and that's what's so important. If the people forget their heritage, if they forget their history, they really forget who they are. And, and so the, the curious thing about Gilgal and I think this is very interesting that archaeologically they've done a lot of digs around the place. And there, there are several places that people think Gilgal are, and they, some of them are just ridiculous. And I think you're smarter than that. I mean, it says they crossed the Jordan and they came to Gilgal, and it was very close to Jericho. So there's no way that this Gilgal is way up in the northern kingdom. I mean, but there are people who argue about that. And here's one thing about Old Testament history. They'll argue about anything. And they love to argue. The argument is, is the fun of the thing. And it's, it's like debate club. Um, so, but they, they've researched in this Gilgal, done a lot of archaeological digs, and they found out that this place was known for domesticated figs that whatever these guys could find and however they study the DNA of seeds and factors, they recognized that this was not a place where just wild figs were, were sown. 
These had been developed in the ancient horticultural pursuits, and it was a domesticated variety of figs. Now, I don't know enough about figs. I go to the grocery store, and I just make sure I buy pitted ones. But, you know, I know there are mint jewel and there are other types, and you, you stand there and you look at them and you think, I wonder which tastes better. That's what I think. I always like to eat figs, and I like to eat dates. I like, I like that. I toss in a prune or, few, uh, or, or two at times. Um, but anyway, they find that, that figs is what Gilgal, the main crop of Gilgal, from what they can see, from what's left there, was figs. So what does fig mean? I'm going to do, I'm, I think, a, a more detailed teaching about this on Wednesday because it's very important that we recognize this. But the main, the main thing about figs in the New Testament was when Nathaniel was sitting under the fig tree. Remember when we taught about that? And um, he was sitting there because in the mindset of the people, even in that day, they felt that if they would associate themselves with a fig tree, they would hear from God. They would find a commune point with God, but they would hear from him. That's very interesting to me. And I think that from other places where the fig was represented, and I'll, I'll detail this more on Wednesday, um, the... Um, the thing about it is that Gilgal was supposed to be a place where you communed with God. And you, you gained, dare I say, a burden from God. You recognize that God has an identity for you and a heritage, and you want to stick with that. You don't want to miss that. You're not asking for anything else. You're not asking for wealth. You're not asking for victory in battle. You're not asking for any of these things. You want God, and you're willing to commit. You're willing to lay anything aside. You're willing to even allow the, the, the most cherished parts of your life to be cut away so that you are sensitive to God, because if you have that, everything else works. That is the renewal of the kingdom. That is what we must have or nothing else works. It may grow, it may develop, but pretty soon it'll collapse like a whitened sepulcher because if you don't have that devotion to the heart of God to do what he says, and it's not about whether you're manifesting or whether you're doing this particular thing or not. I've seen all kinds of people come through this place, and I, I, I cherish the ways they worship the Lord. But those actions don't mean they're going to be following the Lord in a, in a year. The people that really have their heart yielded before God, and they say, as was sung earlier, here I am. When somebody really means that, you can have victory in any, in any place, no matter where God sends you. Without that, you're not going to succeed. And that's really what Gilgal represented. And I think it's very fascinating that uh, the archaeologists are, are saying this place was known as, a, as, a, as the choice figs. Uh, and I say domesticated, they bred the, the exact kinds, the most um, uh, resistant, the most 
productive ones. They, they focused on that there. And I, I believe that, as you'll see on, on Wednesday, that, that <laughs> well, I won't go into Wednesday's message. It's just, it's just everywhere. And Gilgal is, is the heart of, of this whole maneuver, which is why Samuel would say, come there. Um, and they seem to gather there. There seemed to be an understanding from uh, Samuel that from time to time we're going to have outposts at uh, gatherings at Gilgal. Um, now, okay, so Joshua had Gilgal as the main base, but he also recognized that there needed to be a place or some of the eldership recognized there needed to be a place where the ark the covenant could be housed. So they chose Shiloh, and I think it's very interesting that those were the two main places that were established during the days of Joshua. Now, Shiloh means peace. People get all wound up about Shiloh. But it means a peace, as we've studied before. It's not shalom, but it means a peace that would more say, look what the Lord has done. We've gained this great victory. He has brought us into the land. And it's good to give thanks to the Lord in that way. But the, the Prince of Peace is not that. The Prince of Peace is going forward. The Prince of Peace is, is winning victories. The Prince of Peace is just not sitting up on the throne at the right hand of the throne saying, well, I've done everything I'm going to do. I'm just waiting for the Father to tell me to bring the children home. Seems we've heard that kind of a mentality about what Jesus is doing now. No, he's praying for you that you'll fulfill the will of the Father. He's with you in your histeme. He is, he is that one that is leading us forth in the, the directives of our Father. And, and so Shiloh was never supposed to be uh, party city. It was never supposed to be uh, what, what, what happens in Shiloh stays in Shiloh. It wasn't supposed to be that, but it became that, which is why it eventually became also Ichabod. It's interesting that Samuel did not set up a school in Shiloh, even though he was pretty much raised up in that place. Um, he set his place in Ramah and had Naoth there. And that became the instructional base of what would come. But Gilgal was the heart of it all. Gilgal was the one where people said, hey, we, we've got to go back there. We, we've got to go there, and, and we've got to renew our own hearts. We've got to evaluate if we're doing what we're supposed to do. We've got to evaluate if we're still as sensitive to the Lord as we should be. And this was a matter of the heart. And so uh, Samuel even established this. When, look, when I appoint that you go there, you've got to do seven days. It's very similar to the Feast of, of, of Tabernacles, very similar to the structure. You go for the seven days, and then the eighth day will be kind of a, a solemn assembly, and we'll, we'll rejoice. And... Um, it, it really, to me, aligns so much with truth and sonship. To me. 
And again, we, you get in trouble when you start, you can understand that there are five to the fivefold, the mind of Christ, but you start saying which one is which and people get all confused because people, get, people think differently. But to me, as I look at this, this is the gathering of the sons. This is the gathering of the people, and they come and they say, we're devoted to our Father. Look what he's done. Look what the blessings are. We're coming. We're waiting on him no matter what's going on, and he's going to give us direction for the new day, and we're going to engage again. That is so depicted in Gilgal, and it only comes through the shedding of the blood because you know, you're, not, you're not going to become a son unless you obey that. You're willing to, to give yourself totally. And, and so this was the problem when um, you had two main issues that were public issues with Samuel and Saul. The one was when they, when they fought against the Amalekites and they beat the Amalekites in, in a battle and Saul kept the, the good, the choice things and um, he kept alive Agag, the king, and Samuel comes and said, why are you disobedient? And he said, I wasn't disobedient. Look what, look what I did, you know, all this great stuff. Well, what then is the bleeding of the sheep? Remember that famous line? And um, he calls out Agag, and Agag says, you know, certainly the bitterness is past, and this is just gross, but Samuel hacks him to pieces, this Agag. And that was, that was the time where um, Samuel said, look, you didn't obey the Lord. Your heart wasn't right. And it, it had to do with wealth, and it had to do with the first fruits that belonged to God. And he, they were specifically told, slay everything. Don't keep anything. This, you don't do this. The other time was when early on, not too far from this passage right here, is actually, I think it was chapter 14, but it's just a couple chapters later, where the Philistines hear about uh, how that Israel is gaining momentum and so they bring up thousands and thousands of soldiers, and they're there at mismatch, and and uh, obviously Samuel had commissioned the people to go to Gilgal. Now we don't have a direct word that says, "And Samuel said unto Saul, Go to Gilgal." We do have that with the renewing of the people, but that that already happened. See, we we can't equate, you can't conflate those two things because. That was already in the biblical record. They went down, they waited for Samuel, and they renewed the kingdom. And everybody rejoiced. It was great. This was a subsequent time. And somehow Samuel had set in motion, look, when I, when I get a word from the Lord and we have to go back to Gilgal, you go there and you wait for the seven days. This is, this is what you do, and I will come. Well, Saul got down there. The people are spooked. They're leaving. They're running away. And um, Saul is scared. And he almost obeys the Lord, but he didn't obey the full thing. And that, those two instances, the thing with the Amalekites and the thing with not waiting um, uh, the full seven days, were, were what took the kingdom away basically from Saul. And that's a shame.
So with Gilgal, what, what is our perspective with that? We obey what God says to do. We, there are times when he brings, okay, you go, I'm going to bring blessing. But then there are times that he's very specific. Okay, everything that you do in this has to be done this way. And we have to do that. And um, so it, it's a measure of our perspective with how we trust God with money, and it's a measure of how we trust God with our devotions. And it's funny how those two things go side by side. Will we, will we wait on God and obey the fast when he says to obey and do what he says to do? And I think we've done a pretty good job of that. And on the other hand, um, as far as I know, as Les mentioned earlier, we, we've not really had a problem with having too much money. I mean, we've, we've had to wait on God, and God has always provided more than enough. But those two factors are part of Gilgal. And if, if, if your perspective is to give yourself to the Lord, those two factors are going to weigh in and will largely determine whether you have kingdom authority or not. Will you do what you're supposed to do spiritually? Not what everybody else is doing. Will you, at your point in time, do what God is saying for you to do spiritually? And will you trust him, whether it's in finance or in warfare or in whatever other way? Because, because if, if you can do that, staying focused on what you were, are called to be, You'll, you'll function in kingship. And so there, there are a lot of other lessons about Gilgal, that, uh, and, and particularly then about figs, but Gilgal, that are essential for us. Um, the most important one, well, then, you know, we, we know that when Joshua died and all the people that functioned with Joshua, is what the Bible says, when they passed away, the people were in that, days of the judges mode. That's a big thing for us. It's such a big, it's a hard thing. You know, it took Moses out. It, it pretty much took Elijah out, who was also over these schools. Uh, it, um, it destroyed it destroyed the people over and over again. And in fact, they just wandered in the wilderness. And the Bible says they were destroyed by their murmuring. So it's a, it's a big deal how we deal with bitterness. I, I, you know, and I, I, I shared this this past Wednesday. Why is this so important? Because in essence, it's satanic. And when we, we talked about Saul eyeing David, and we discovered that the I, the I-N, which is supposed to be our, our authority as a 70, as a 70, uh, to, to turn a place of desperation into a well of blessing, uh, how that, that unique twist on that word is what Saul did because Saul was angry and he was threatened didn't have to be. He was jealous. He was perplexed. 
and he eyed. And then we noticed that as we studied that linguistically, that that then comes from iniquity. So you've got awan and avon, or avon, avon calling. Remember we studied about that, what iniquity is? And where did iniquity come from? Satan. Iniquity was found in him. He was perfect until the day that iniquity was found in him. So throughout this whole thing, why it's so important for God in the days of the judges, in that base where there were so many demonic high places, where there were so many demonic beings that were being worshipped, where there was so much uh, wickedness in a demonic way that permeated that land, it was important that the people did not engage and, and bow at the altar of iniquity because that's the heart of satanic rebellion. Um, we talked about how that the antithesis of a true prophet is wormwood. It's bitterness. We talked about if people fail in grace, then this bitterness will spring up. And it's, it's inebriating. The gall, drunken with the gall of bitterness. And we talked about, remember in the New Testament, when Elamus, the sorcerer, Paul looked at him and said, you are a child of the enemy, and you are steeped in bitterness. Remember that? He's just basically talking about what the demonic kingdom is based in, and if the people are coming into the land, they're not coming to just have nice vacation places for the Christians to go. They're coming to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And in, in light of what we know about the history of the rebellion of the enemy, that enemy is still going to try to get people to serve him. And the essence of that is bitterness. The essence of that is murmuring, complaining. The essence of that is not seeing things in God's way, but eyeing. Oh, it's so easy to go into that. You know, if there was a switch on my control board, which there probably is, right in that righteous vision, in that righteous vision room where I'm supposed to be hearing from God and viewing, lift up your eyes now and see. God calls that righteousness, and that makes him his friend. There's another little button over there that I should tape over that says, somebody gets crossway with you, you can just very easily switch over and eye them. You say, oh, I can't believe Pastor did it. Well, you do it too. Even the sweetest among us. We can, we can so easily go from that point into a negative, vile, iniquitous view. And that's what that Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim was about. That's what Moses, he's standing up there. They're about to enter into the land of promise. God's given it a go for landing. And, you know, they're about to go, and that switch flicks on Moses. And he says, you rebels, you ingrates. And they were deserving of it. It's not like, you know, why are you digging that up? It's not even here. Well, it's all around you. Don't we live in a day like that? Of course we do. And we've got to be very careful, especially as we go forward. Maybe that's what the bitter sop was for uh, in, in the communion time 
the Passover expression, with all the things, you're going to get fresh words from God and the empowerment of the blood of Christ, but you better make sure that you don't start, that you keep on eyeing and don't start eyeing. Um, that's the days of the judges. You do what's right in your own eyes, which is basically Satan's eyes in those days. You think about Saul's heritage and what almost destroyed the, 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 the tribe of Benjamin. Those people Belial rise up, and they, they hack that woman to pieces and send body parts all over the, all over the land, and they, they go to war. Who would envision such a horrific, heinous thing? Who would do that? What, what got in your eye that made you think that was okay? And then for Benjamin to defend that. We got a lot of that going on today. Oh, yeah, this guy did this, but it was somebody else's fault, so we're not going to punish him. Oh, yeah, these people did this. Well, that's just, uh, I, won't, I won't get too much political in here, but that's just a result of what you've done for years and years. So just let them cause millions of dollars of damage. You just go let that. We'll just forgive that because that's the way they are. That happened with Benjamin. I, I, it's, just, it's just awful. And I, I, th there's so much that has to do with Gilgal that... And, and the, the taking of the land, as we stand at this real point, we've already seen some breakthrough in this year in a, in a bigger scale, but we're girding up for a going forth like, like none of us have ever seen before. And it's going to astound us. God's prophesied it, but it's going to astound. There are going to be invitations coming that God has ordained that are going to shock us. And, and we've, got to, we've got to renew the kingdom. We've got to go back to Gilgal, not to get circumcised again, but to submit ourselves to God. See, that's the thing with circumcision. Once it's done, it's done. Um, but in the, in the heart... You, you continually, there are new places that God reveals, places where iniquity could rise and purpose being twisted. And God wants to draw you near, and that's every son that he loves. He chastens, and he, he directs, and he cleanses. But it's not just for cleansing's sake. It's to recalibrate with what has God begun. What has he given you as an identity? What is your mission? It is alive and well, and in fact, it's not really even begin to produce the harvest that God intends. This fast that I think I know that we've been directed to offer beginning this Tuesday is basically us as individuals and us as a people coming before God to give him thanks about what he's given us for the calling and the election that God has given us. And perhaps even we think back on ways that God has blessed and ways that God has shown himself faithful. Um, maybe the Spirit of the Lord will take you back to times where he's met with you, 
things that he's shared with you, that he reminds you of. So easy to forget those or to think those were for another day or that that's all tidied up, wrapped up with a bow, it's done now. We, we, we're not going to share this anymore because it's, you know, we're getting older. It's been all these years, you know, we're, we don't have, when it was first given, we don't have that same clientele around us. Do you think God didn't know that when he gave it to you? Of course he did. So we've got to re remember what God has said. Remember how we've committed ourselves to God and what our mission is. Regardless of what any is happening anywhere else, we are saints, and that is ongoingly a devotion to God awakening things that he has ordained to be, and we partner with him to see them happen. That's, that's the Gilgal place. That's Golgotha. And we, we are in that place. So what do you fast? How do you fast? Well, the only word that I'll give you is I think that Wednesday, since we're going to be gathering here, should, be, should include something special for you. I don't know what that would be. Maybe it's... Maybe you align these seven days with the seven spirits. We've done that before, particularly with Daniel fasts, where you say, what does, uh, we'll, we'll, begin with, um, we'll begin with judgment and burning, okay? We'll just say that. If, we'll just say, no, 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 no. Wipe that. Re erase the, re reverse the tape, Rose. Um, We'll begin with truth and sonship. We'll begin with truth and sonship on this coming Tuesday. And then we'll go through the um, judgment and burning, um, and then we'll come together on Tuesday, and we'll just have a solemn ex expression of, of expectancy before the Lord creativity, new things, and we'll begin to unpack that then on that Tuesday through the week. But, you know, what, what, would, what would you offer to the Lord on grace and supplication? What would you offer to the Lord on, um, on judgment and burning, wisdom, revelation? What would you offer to him just as a commune with him, to align yourself with him? You do recognize that I think there's, there's a reason that God waited till now to truly emphasize Gilgal in this way and to link it up with these other seven keynote um, progressions. Uh, and, and as a, a, a teaching ministry, as a people who pray and bring the word, I mean, I think it's important for us to, to, to see the link between what God's given us and these locations. I think we should see that and not dismiss that. And here's another factor. You notice that Jerusalem wasn't any of these. You notice that, don't you? And I think, I think there's a reason that before there is a Manuka visitation anywhere in the world, you have to have these seven spirits factors 
embraced and operative. If you want to talk about the footstool, that's it. That's the foundation. That's the base. If you want to talk about the place where the throne can settle, you know, he inhabits the praises. Um, he, he inhabits a people who are ongoingly saying, what is God doing? That's what praise is. How can I align myself? How can I give myself? He inhabits that, but the base of it is his ways. The base of it is who he is. And if you're going to, you know, I love it. We've gone uh, to so many places so many times now that the people, it's not always the case, but the people kind of know what we really what we really like and what we what we want and they try to accommodate that it's it's awful when people prepare things and you think well that's very nice of them but i don't even like this stuff i remember one meal we had in uh, in well a couple of meals in france one we we were at this church in lyon had the first saints network really gathering. There was the Valley of Dry Bones, and they had this big meal, and they bought this raw meat, this tartare, and Monica and I were sitting side by side, and neither one of us were going to touch that raw meat, and the people are looking at us, and we somehow, this was a true prophetic gift, we slid it over onto Luke's plate, and Luke ate it for us. Now, there was another time we were at this place in Toulouse, and they brought out this foie gras, which is duck liver, and the guy went round and round trying to get Monica to eat that stuff, and she wouldn't do it. Kudos to you. But it's awful when people try to bring you things, and you think, well, that's very nice of them, but I don't like that stuff. Oh, I remember we were in India, and uh, I forget, I forget, it was Billy, Fabian, you may have been at the table with me. We sat in this little room, and these people were so poor, but they brought this food out, and it was rice and some other kinds of things. There were roaches everywhere. There were roaches running up over the rice. And we're sitting there thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't want to eat this. I don't want to eat a roach. I don't want to smoke a roach. Uh, and, and so Nathan got that one. Um, and so, but the people were standing there watching us. Just watching us, and we think, I'm stuck. There's nothing I can do. And we also, on that trip, we went up into this cobra-infested village in the dark, and they were cooking this food over on the ground, just on the ground. I mean on the ground, not in a pot, not in a pan, on the ground. And and it was primitive. It was like Gilligan's Island. They were grass huts. We're not making fun of people. We're just describing it for you. So you get the whole picture of the thing. And we found out a few hours later that this, this little forest that we had walked up through to get to this village was infested with cobras. I'm glad we didn't know about that beforehand. And so we didn't know how they were making this stuff, what water they used, because the, the water was just parasitic. It was just... You talk about Montezuma's revenge, it's a, it's a whole nother, it's a, Rishna's revenge over in India. And they don't have toilets there, and neither do they have toilet paper. So if you get bit with that, you're in, you're in a heap of trouble, as Uncle Jed would say. So I remember going over to Fabian, and I said, hey, it's really, I don't know what this stuff is, but I just passed the word. 
I know what the Bible says, eat what is set before you, but it also says be wise. <laughs> so we weren't going to eat that. So what we did was we got, they, they give it to you in your hand. And so we would walk around in different places and we would just kind of drop it in, in the grass. And we weren't insulting the people. But my point is that you got to be really careful when you're preparing a place for God that you do what he likes, that you do what he's looking for, that you do what's acceptable in his sight. And there's no better point of acceptable in his sight to align yourself with his ways, which is who he is. And if you can populate the area with that while in commune with him, when we welcome him, he's going to come because we've prepared what he likes, what he wants, who he is. So we, we need to align ourselves beginning this Tuesday, every day. We'll start with truth and sonship, and we'll, we'll, go, we'll go through the week. Wednesday, you need to do something special, whether that's a full fast, maybe just liquids. Let the Lord speak to you. And, but the purpose is to align ourselves with our identity in God at the base that is the motor of our whole perspective of following God, that we're willing to do what he says, that we're willing to yield ourselves to hear from him, to glean from him, and that we would, um, that we would be people that would do whatever he requires, no matter what it costs us, and that we will then gain our directive to, to go forward. And I think, I think it's so interesting. I don't want to belabor this, but the Bible says that after Israel first went into Gilgal and they're, they're recuperating from their surgical procedures, that at some point Joshua leaves that place of figs and he's not far away from it, and he's eyeing, he's looking over Jericho, and there stands the warrior, captain of the Lord's host. But I just think it's interesting that he, he was in this place that is a yieldedness to God and is a, a place of hearing from God, to receive insight from God. And Joshua steps away uh, just... He's used to getting that from Moses, but he steps away, and here is God giving him some of the most detailed prophetic that's in, a, in the Scripture. I mean, all right, you're going to go up here, you're going to march around, you're going to do this for these number of days, and then you're going to have the priest do this, and it is specific. Oh, man, I was reading that afresh the other day, and I thought, God, I'm sure it was still faith because they had to walk outside those walls and hear all those insults and maybe the people were throwing stuff at them. I don't know what they were doing as they marched around. But they know point by point what they're supposed to do and they know exactly the time when God's supposed to move, when he says he's going to move. And you know what? It happens exactly that way. Now that is cool. That is very clear prophecies. Like when Jesus said, okay, you guys, uh, we're going to enter into Jerusalem pretty soon, but you go down to this city, and you're going to see a colt tied there, and somebody's going to come out, and you tell them this. That's really 
That's sharp. Oh, God help us to hear from you that way all the time. That would be wonderful. But Joshua comes out from Gilgal on his first assignment from there, and he gets all this word. I'm believing for us that God will sharpen our ability to hear and that we'll have a greater clarity of insight, precision. This is just so important. But Gilgal represents all of these things, and, and um, Samuel knew enough to say, meet, meet me at Gilgal, okay? Philistines are coming up, go to Gilgal. The point was, though, that um, for Saul, it was botched. And that, that's, that's a shame. God was still faithful, even after he didn't wait for Samuel. They still put a whooping on the, the enemy, which was thanks be to God for that. But um, we, we really, we have to go through these things. And, and I wrap them up thusly. Our point of beginnings. What is our identity? What has God called us to do? And we've only begun to go in the land. So we've got to commit ourselves and yield ourselves and be willing to let our heart be touched and to be refined in the Lord, to hear from him, to do what he says. And um, we've, got to, we've got to get a grip, especially in this day where the enemy is so pronounced in society and in so many nations uh, we've, we've got to be really clear to not react, but to stay focused on what we say and how we react and how we respond. That's a key to the days of the judges, to believe what God says uh, in righteousness and, and not to pervert that view into a negativity. That's the key to the days of the judges. That's the key to eliminating murmuring. And we, we have to have that before the Lord. And um, I, I, just, I, I just feel that there are other things we're going to discover personally and collectively that God's going to reveal in these days that just, we're just opening the door into it. But the fast is so important. Now, last thing. The last seminar, we were seeking the Lord, welcoming his presence and welcoming the river. Has that gone away? No. Hopefully it should be here. I mean, if you ask for his presence and he comes, you should be still cherishing him. I know I am. So the next step is God saying this. I am with you. The river uh, of, of the throne of God is with you. Do you need to ask for it again? Or have you forgotten? Is it, has your faith been squandered? Now you have to rekindle it again? We cherish him, and we cherish that empowerment. But now God says this. Look at what I've given you. Look what I've prepared you for. The, the nations are waiting. This is a pattern. This is a principle. These seven things were indicated. We studied about this several months ago all around the Sea of Galilee. Do you remember that? We looked at those seven touch points, those seven cities, and how Jesus did different miracles in each of them, and how that was to set the stage for a place that was beyond Samaria. 
Remember the seven churches that Jesus spoke to? This is a principle. It's a pattern. And when these things are in place and when they're functioning, then you can expect the manucha from God to be established in the midst. But there we have it. So I think that even though tomorrow is Labor Day and it's a holiday and it would be like a Gilgal Mardi Gras for some of you. You'll be barbecuing and feasting and you say, rejoice, the fast begins tomorrow. Um, it's nice of God to do that, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, really, the, the, the inception of it begins now. So I think that it would be good for us before we leave this place to spend several minutes at least in prayer, consecrating ourselves to what he is requiring of us, inviting us to do this week, and then looking with an eye toward the gathering, which is the following week. And I, I think that it would be wonderful for us to spend that time as individuals in this systeme point, this important place in, in the economy of God, that, that we devote ourselves afresh and ask him to direct us in this week. Ask him to specifically select what he would require of us. Some of you may already know, but don't close the door on that menu because God always has some other things that he's going to ask you to do. We need to be ready to hear them. And um, so I'm going to ask if Kelly, if you'd come to the piano and just play, for, play, now, you can you can go whenever you feel led to go. There's not going to be a uh, an end of this per se, but let's find a place and let's pray and let's consecrate ourselves for what um, for what God is really doing in this hour and what um, what this fast represents and what we're preparing the way for the ingathering of the saints to do. So, Father. Thank you for this. Um, I, I'm always amazed just about the time you think that, just, that everything that God could possibly bring before us has been brought. You bring something new. And it will always be that way, but it's something that's just so precious, and we thank you for it. Help us to bless you. Help us to serve you. And as we devote ourselves this week to a time of seeking your face and fasting in the ways that you choose, um, meet with us and let us, let us be what you would have us to be in welcoming you for the days that are ahead. I bless this people. I bless these veteran saints. I bless these faithful ones. And I ask you, Father, from my heart, that you would reward them. It's not been easy, but yet they've remained faithful. Give them a cherished expression of love. Thank you for doing this, Father. Be with us now as we pray, and um, we love you. Amen. In Jesus' name.